Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Garrett, here with Ed Bardo on a sobering Sunday, the day after the uh, game that uh, I think a lot of us knew was coming, which is the UCLA-Arizona game played at Pauley Pavilion. We knew that the end of the season was going to be a tough one, and indeed it turned out that way. What'd you think of it, uh, Ricky? So the final score was 82 to 73. I thought Arizona came out firing, which was, you know, very nice to see. I thought Arizona built up that 11 point lead pretty quickly. Uh, looked like Tubelis was going to start rolling, which he did. Uh, it looked like Arizona might be able to put this thing away early. I know it's a long game, but Arizona just seemed unstoppable. UCLA was taking shots that, you know, they don't normally take and they were missing them left and right. Uh, and Arizona was clicking on all cylinders. And then all of a sudden, it's like UCLA just flipped that switch. And they said, you know what? We shouldn't be taking these shots. We're smarter than this. They tightened up their defense. And then they started to pull away with it. Yeah, I think Mick probably got on them a little bit and started pulling some players to get them to realize, hey, you're not playing the type of ball that's going to get you to win this thing. And so one of the things that I'd say is that, you know, this was a, we knew this was going to be a tough game. So you take into account that uh, UCLA hasn't lost at home. You take into account they were on a nine-game winning streak before last night. You take into account that uh, you know that this is senior night. This is going to be this is the last game of the regular season. They've already won the Pac-12, but this is senior night. This is the night where quite a few of the players are probably playing their last game in Poly. Uh, I think even though like Tiger, I think and Jaime actually have another year of eligibility, but still, I, this, they're not going to play again. So um, that that was a lot to kind of charge up UCLA and get them ready to, 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 to fight. And just like you said, we took off, we started running, we were doing great. And then just, there was this moment where momentum was lost and that was that. So, I mean, it was, it was a little bit heartbreaking, but we knew that that, we knew that wouldn't stay that way. We knew that that was coming, that that uh, surge from UCLA would come. And we've seen this in a lot of their games. And it's something that I find very interesting about UCLA in that they've been so successful given this problem. We've seen UCLA in many, many games just go cold for a stretch offensively where they just cannot hit a shot, including most of the game at Arizona. So what do you think that is, and how do you think that's going to affect their future, Ricky? Well, what's interesting is that Arizona shot 47% from the field and UCLA shot 42%, and yet Arizona lost. Yes. Uh, And to make it worse, we shot 40% from three. We made eight of them. They made... 7.3 7.3 from three what yeah right so if you look at the stats you're going okay Arizona probably won this game maybe it was close but Arizona won this game uh but no uh UCLA shot six more free throws you know I think going back to your original question I think UCLA is gonna possibly find some trouble Joe Lenardi has got them as a one seed right now in the NCAA tournament uh, I think they might run into some trouble if they have these scoring lulls where they just don't put up points, even though they were playing incredible defense against Arizona, and maybe that's what saves them in the future. Uh, but I think they may run into some teams that will put up some points, and if they don't you know, follow along, if they're not with them toe-to-toe, uh, they may fall behind and they may be an early exit. That was the exact warning I was actually going to give to UCLA fans. So, look, if there's any UCLA fans out there, we recognize you guys played an awesome game. You deserve that win. No no harm there. We're not uh, griping about that as, as uh, sour grapes Arizona fans. What we're saying is that we're – look, Ricky and I are going to be voting for you as a lot of Pac-12 fans are during the NCAA tournament. We're going to be pulling for the Pac-12, particularly since it's your last Pac-12 season. <laughs> We're going to be really pulling for you to succeed in the NCAA tournament. But at the same warning we say for our Arizona team as for UCLA, you guys got to figure that offense out. 
we're all going to be playing tougher competition uh, when we hit the NCAA tournament, and it's just going to keep getting harder. And there's going to be a team that kills you if you have that lull. Well, they'll throw 20 on you during that time. So just a note before we you know, get into further details here is that both warning for UCLA and, Arizona, UCLA and Arizona. Don't get in one of those lulls and let teams get up on you by double digits because in the NCAA tournament, you may not – good chance you won't recover. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so where do you think Arizona went wrong? Where do you think it kind of switched? What was the turning point for this game? I think I think the tighter defense really messed Arizona up. One of the things that we were pointing out in a previous podcast was that Arizona was taking care of the ball really, really well. That we were doing a really good job at, uh, you know, keeping the turnovers down a bit. We were noticing that in the past there were a lot of there was a lot of bad interior passing. You know, if you want to get an inside-outside game, one of the things that's fundamental is you have to be able to get the ball to your bigs, right? Uh-huh. It's just straightforward. You got to be able to do that. And w- how many passes did you see get intercepted last night? I mean, Seven, seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. We were just giving the ball to them, and just it was just if you look at the points off of turnovers or in total turnovers. I mean, that was the statistic that the only statistic that I could really really pointed out to me the difference in the game was that uh, right there is the fact that they really, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? UCLA is, is a leader in that space for being able to turn their opponents over. But I mean, just seeing it happen on such simple things, such as passes, just bad passes, lazy passes was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. What was disheartening was Courtney Ramey started so well and he had that drive to the bucket where nobody stopped him. He just blew by everybody. And he's making threes, or did he, he made no, he didn't make any threes. I just felt like he was doing so much in the beginning to get the team rolling, you know, playing aggressive, getting the ball to Jabellis. And then all of a sudden, just six turnovers, four points for Courtney Ramey, 0 for 4 from three, two for 11 field goals. He just, he didn't have it tonight. No, no. And one of the things, too, is decision making. One of the things that we, you, you hear talked a lot about in a lot of college basketball games is something called basketball IQ. And the basketball IQ is not that you're just a, a super brilliant guy who takes a, you know, trivia quizzes on basketball. It is when you're playing, you make the smart decision. So an example of Courtney Ramey not showing high basketball IQ is him driving and having two or three big guys standing right there overlooking him like new and trying to make a layup over that. That's yeah, that, that drives me nuts. <laughs> That's not good basketball IQ right there. At that point, you've got them to collapse, dish it out. I mean, yeah. you can, you're not gonna you're not gonna shoot over those guys, or if you do, it's gonna be a tough shot, probably not a good one. That's basketball IQ, right? You got three guys surrounding you. You've got you know other guys on the perimeter that you could kick it out to. Somebody's obviously open. You know, don't take a contested layup amongst the trees. Uh, it's, you know, it's not gonna be a high percentage shot, so just don't do it. Just kick it out, and you know we'll take Kerr, or we'll take Boswell, or somebody else shooting a three. Uh, you know, whatever it may be, but. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> you know, another thing that was really driving me nuts uh, when it came to, I don't know if I'm going to blame this on coaching or what, was one of the shots that really drives me nuts that everybody has watched Tiger Campbell go up the high screen and then drop down low just at the top of the tee, a little bit inside there and shoot a shot. He makes a shot all the time. That's his sweet shot. Why, how yep. many times did we see that where the next guy that was, uh, was going to defend him was Balo, but he was down in the paint? Yep. <laughs> So he's wide open to take that shot. He makes it again, again, and again. And yeah, at some point, defended. <laughs> yeah, at some point, there's got to be a rotation. If Ballo comes up to challenge Tiger Campbell, 
then there's got to be somebody to rotate down to his guy. Uh, even if it's a smaller guy, at least to bo- you know, block him out or do whatever he needs to do. Um, but you can't just let Tiger have his way in that paint because he's going to drop it. Now, he didn't shoot great. I mean, he was five for 15, but still, those five shots were all from the five exact shot. same spot. We were doing a great job on him. We were defending him quite well, but suddenly he found that little sweet spot where we were defending him, where he was able to come across that screen and just pop right into that little blank space. No one stepped in. Usually we're great at the rotations. I'm always impressed as uh, as people do these screens and stuff, how well Arizona uh, switches off real well to protect someone from getting open like that. And it's really difficult normally to get around Arizona that way. But particularly if you're a three-point shooting team, if they've l- learned the hard way how to do that. But uh, yeah, that would, that one kind of bugged me yesterday, watching that happen a few times. <laughs> right. So Tiger Campbell ended up with 21 points. He actually went 11 for 12 from the free throw line, which is just crazy. Uh, Jaime Hawkins Jr., 22 points, 9 of 18 from the field, 4 for 4 from the free throw line. David Singleton, who did not play well in Tucson. You know, I thought we locked him down on defense pretty well in Tucson. Uh, he was He had 17 points. Five for thirteen from the field. All five of those field goals were three pointers. Three pointers, and that was another point. One of the things I thought is that okay, so David Singleton's one of their best. If not, I think he's the best three point shooter on the team. And he uh, effectively, I don't remember him being challenged as he shot those. It was almost as we, as if we were daring us. So he goes five from nine from three. I don't think a person does five from nine from three if they have a hand in their face. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, he, he is a great shooter. I'm going to give him all the props in the world because I do like his shot. His stroke looks pure, kind of like Kerr's. Uh, his stroke looks very pure, and, and he drilled him. You know, there's not much we can do about that. Uh, I just I wish we would have played a little bit tighter defense on him. I wish we would have switched some screens and, and you know, just at least put some pressure on him because he's such a great shooter. And it's not like it's an unknown, right? We know how good of a shooter he is. He didn't play well in Tucson because we did something about it. You know, why didn't that same formula work at UCLA? Yeah, absolutely, and let's say let's let's give props to Jaime Hawkins and to uh, Tiger Campbell. The two stepped up when it came down to it. They got uh, you know just those two alone end up getting forty three of the team's points. That's pretty amazing. They, right. they, they really stepped up on senior night and really uh, did did something for the team there. And I, I mean, I think Tommy knew up front and stuff. Is Tiger and Jaime are probably going to have a good breakout game on senior night. It's probably going to do well. You're not going to and for Tommy, it's not a breakout game. Obviously, he's, he's been doing that, but. Uh, you know, you have to give props to UCLA for putting up a hard fight at home. And to be honest, folks, even uh, given that game, the way it went and, 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 you know, I was expecting it could have been a lot worse. And if you don't remember, we lost by 16 with three in future NBA draft picks last year at Poly. So a nine point loss. We held pretty tight there. I think Arizona had definitely had the opportunity to win there at Poly. And it gave me optimism, even as, you know, I felt frustrated at times. It gave me optimism after seeing that game to think that should we get into the championship game at the Pac-12 tournament uh, and Arizona and UCLA are facing head-to-head, I think there's a very good shot we win that. Yeah, what gave me confidence going forward is that Arizona didn't just roll over and give up, right? You know, they were still fighting even with two, three minutes left. You know, they were getting steals and turnovers. Um, They were hitting threes. You know, Kylan Boswell... I still, I said he was a stud last game. He's a stud this game too. Uh, he's, he's coming on. Yeah. He's coming on, man. Scored the same amount of points. He had 14 points just like he did against USC. Uh, his stat line almost looks the same. He was five for seven from the field, four for six from three. Um, so we're talking about guys that stepped up for UCLA. I wanted to talk about guys that stepped up for Arizona. Obviously, Kylan Boswell, 
Uh, let's see, Pella Larson, you know, he had some foul trouble. He had 10 points, four for six. I still thought he played okay. Uh, he was driving to the hoop, making the layups. Uh, his defense was pretty good, but he was just called for some fouls that were eh, kind of ticky-tack. Not, that's not the reason why we lost. Uh, it's just that's what took Pella out of the game, so he didn't have yeah. the best game he could have. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room is Azulis Tabellis. He scored 24 points on 8 for 13 shooting, uh, 8 for 8 from the free throw line. So much better set line for him, especially that 8 for 8 from the free throw line. I love that. I think the elephant in the room probably is Omar Ballo shooting two for four, right? He gets a total of six points, and he can barely make free throws anymore. For a while, it looked like his free throw problems were solved at the beginning of the season, but, boy, they certainly have returned in force. Omar Ballo is, was almost a handicap in this whole game. He just couldn't seem to get anything together on the offense or defense. I mean, it, just, it was just pretty... It was pretty tough to watch in general as he played. The only thing that where he really contributed was by getting his five rebounds. But, uh, wow, that was pretty tough. What would you think of Omar Balo's play? He just looked lost out there. I don't know what's going on with him. He just looked like he didn't belong in that game. And I mentioned to you several times off camera or off the air that, uh, you know, he needs to sit down. He and Ramey were not helping the team in any way, shape, or form. Um, I was all for putting Boswell in and putting Henry Visar in. Uh, you know, just getting somebody else some time, maybe get him some rest on the bench, maybe let him chill for a little bit if he was anxious or whatever it was, maybe sit him on the bench for a little bit and see if that helps. Um, I was into doing anything but having Balo and Ramey out there. I, I think they could have used like Henry Vesar to do kind of like what they did with Mac Etienne, where they bring him in to be a big body down low, get some rebounds, do that sort of thing. Because think about it. This is the part that's even harder to imagine. You saw, you already mentioned about Tabellis' great game. So he gets 24 points. He goes, uh, he's shooting eight. He does eight from 13 from the field. He makes all eight free throws. So there's another thing we used to pick on him for what happened to his free throw shooting. We sure made up for it in this game. But he does that in 29 minutes. Balo goes two for four in 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it just did not have an effect on the game at all, other than he just didn't play well. I mean, he wasn't wasn't stellar by any means. And Cedric Henderson, 31 minutes of of, of play for one for six from the field. Yeah, that's yeah. that's just it. 27 minutes from Cordy Ramey of gameplay, and he gets two for 11. I mean, so where were the, this was just kind of, I guess, the theme we were making is that there was a lot of pressure put on Tubelis, and they, you know, they, they knew Tubelis was going to be a force. They knew that he was going to score his points, and so they were desperate to get him in foul trouble too, which of course happened. He's mm-hmm. had a few, quite a few games like that now, but uh, others didn't step up to take the pressure off of him, and, that, and particularly Ballo, I think, is usually the twin where they pass between each other to take the pressure off of one of the bigs. That wasn't happening, so. Right. And you had, like you said, Pella Larson fouled out with five fouls. Azulis Tabellas fouled out and Kirk Kreese fouled out. So, you know, where's Arizona going to go to? They went to Boswell and he played really well, uh, but it just was a little too, too little, too late. Right. That's it. And Boswell's, you, we, I think we all agree. Boswell is going to be a, he, he's going to be a big star for Arizona. His, he's only going to get better and he's really starting to show what he's made of. I'm mean, pretty excited. It's a 17 year old really coming to, coming watching him bloom in these games it's just pretty exciting for the Arizona program wouldn't you agree yeah he's really scrappy and I really love his confidence you know he does those pump fakes and then he steps to the side and gets a wide open three and he drills them and I just couldn't be happier for him because he looks confident out there um 
we've said this a thousand times, just like the ESPN broadcast. He's only 17 years old, but still, he's got – What's a, his body fat composition? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he's got this almost maturity already, which is fantastic, and that's only going to get better and better as we play, you know, further on um, in the tournaments that, that are coming up, but also, you know, as he ages through Arizona's program. Uh, I'm just really excited, really excited for his future. <clears throat> he takes, he takes, you know, he takes good shots. He gets opportunities to shoot three, for example, but he didn't just chuck it up there. He waits until he gets an open shot. His basketball IQ really looks like it's, uh, it's pretty high. So I'm, I'm excited about what the future holds for him. One of the things I wanted to point out too, is one of the, uh, one of the stats that we typically excel at that we were leading the nation for quite some time is the, the total number of assists on offense, right? It's hard to imagine a team beating us uh, in that area. But one statistic that really stood out is that we only had 12 assists versus 13 for UCLA. It's a really low number for Arizona. Part of it, of course, is when you're passing the ball to the scorer and it gets intercepted, that might make a difference. It felt like UCLA's defense was just too much for us to handle because of all the things you mentioned earlier. You know, it was a home game at Pauley. It was senior night. They had revenge on their mind because they beat us back in, or we beat them in Tucson. Uh, so between all those things coming together, UCLA toned up their defense quite a bit. And you could tell Arizona was rattled. And so it was just so hard for Arizona to get those passes in. Arizona finishes with 17 turnovers. Uh, it just it was so hard for them to get the ball to Tubelis and then for Tubelis to kick it back out if he needed to or whatnot. Um, he still got his 24 points, obviously. Um, it just felt like the ball movement was not there, and that led to all those turnovers. Uh, you know, I gave Kirk Creese a hard time during the game, and I don't know why I did. Maybe it was because he was fouling, uh, and he had a couple turnovers. He only had two. It wasn't terrible. It just felt like he wasn't leading the team as much as he could have. Um, but he still had 13 points on five for 10 shooting, three for five from three. So I, I don't know what it was with me, but I just felt like Kirk Risa was a little frustrating uh, to watch yesterday. Yeah. And I, I think in general that, uh, you know, it, it a lot of that felt that way because we felt frustrated in watching the game in general and watch and when we hit that stagnation point where we just couldn't make a field goal for a while. It hurt. The good, the good news is this was a road game against a higher ranked opponent. So we had a high ranked opponent, uh, you know, who was four in the net, it, you weren't going to drop much by losing this game. And it was, an edu- it, was, it, would, it was an educational one. The thing that actually kind of works out well about having that game line up that way, should we face them in the tournament, is typically you come out with more energy after you just lost, right? Mm-hmm. You just lost to this team. This revenge factor is huge. We've seen that quite a bit in, the, uh, in Arizona's revenge tour this year. We did quite a quite a nice job doing payback for those teams. So should UCLA and Arizona line up on their third game at uh, in Vegas, it, it, it's almost as if the way this played out and stuff is going to be advantageous for Arizona in the end. Well, I'd like to touch upon that revenge aspect here in just a second, but I want to finish off with some of these stats here. Uh, another stat we typically look at is total rebounds. Arizona was out-rebounded 38-32. to 32. Uh, I just feel like UCLA wanted it more, and they got it. Um, and then also the uh, points in the paint. That's a stat you and I look at quite often, and UCLA yeah. won that 34 to 28. And you say to yourself, how is that possible when you have uh, two, of the, two of the premier big guys? That, right. that one is just that, – that one's a hard one to take. That's, well, that's and a I, hard one to take. A lot of that was because of those 17 turnovers because how many fast break – points did they have they had 13 fast break points a lot of those were off of you know those steals you know they just stole it from us there's that one play where Kerr passed it to Tubelis and it went off of his foot 
and rolled towards UCLA's basket, and then Kerr dove to get it, but he couldn't get it, and then they just picked it up, and I think Paquez or Campbell laid it in wide open. Yeah, I mean, if you go through these stats, when you're looking at these stats, too, it's like UCLA tended to dominate on Lawson, but they were close. They are close overall. Even, like, if you want to complain about fouls, yeah, we got 22 fouls calling us, but they got 18 as well. But the stat that really stands out to me is related to turnovers because if you get points off of turnovers, seven for us, 16 from them. That's a huge swing. Right. That's that's right there ties the game if we yep. – we don't let that happen, but uh, it, it's just, it's, it's too bad. You know, it's just, that's what happens. And I, I know Tommy, Tommy did a bit to prep them for the fact that they we'd get pressed, right? We knew that Arizona was going to get pressed based on the way that last game ended because we were showing a little bit of looseness with handling the ball. I, I think we did a whole lot better in handling that. It was just the passing, you know, having passing the ball to your opponents, not going to get, help you win games. Yep. Uh couple more things here. What was with the 45-minute interview of Jamal Wilkes? Holy cow. You know, it was one thing. We had a former Arizona player who was getting his uh, jersey put up into the rafters in McHale. But it was another thing when you're sitting there and listening to to Bill Walton rave over this guy for the whole time. That was, you know, okay, look, sure, that's great. The the UCLA team at that time and what Bill Walton accomplished and what Wilkes accomplished at that time, that's amazing. That's great. No, No question. But we're watching a premier top 10 matchup on on ESPN here, and the world's watching, and we want to hear about the game. We don't want to hear about the – do that interview on, a, on a ESPN uh, during Sports Center or something. Right, right. Yeah, I, I was texting some people, and I said, you know, this doesn't need to be here. This game – and I love Bill Walton. Bill Walton's one of my favorites. I love Bill Walton and Dave Pass together. It was Roxy uh, last night. Uh, I love Bill Walton, but – this game felt like a Jay Billis and Dan Schulman type of game. Like it felt like, and I know people, Arizona fans are still upset with Jay Billis. I've wavered a little bit on that. I, I still think Jay owes an apology, but as a commentator, he knows his stuff. And I, I feel like, you know, he did a really good job um, with the Arizona game previously, Arizona UCLA in Tucson. Um, it just felt like a big time game that should have big time announcers and not have this interview spliced in, you know, for 40 minutes. <laughs> It just, no, it was, I mean, the, it was okay to have. Yeah, it's like I, I'm totally fine with. Uh, I'm totally fine with Jay. I'm not one who holds anything against him. I just think that you know, it's fine to have an interview in there, and it's fine to get excited about who shows up for this big matchup. But keep it to a couple minutes, and then move on. You have a, you have a game to cover that's happening right in front of your eyes. Right. And the last thing I wanted to say about this game is. Um, you know, I'm not going to complain about the officials as far as Arizona lost because of the officials. I don't think that's the case at all. But I think the officials were terrible for both sides. Yeah, I mean, uh, both sides were taking fouls that didn't make sense, and they seemed to struggle to make basic calls. I don't, uh, I don't know that there, there's when when you hear the announcers actually talking about. I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> you know that there's a problem with officiating. Like the one play where Ballo goes up for the shot and then Mac Etienne is guarding him and they call a jump ball, even though Ballo got the shot off. Barely even touched the ball. They even, yeah, that was another one. You know, there's a question on that. It's like, I don't think that's right. Yeah. So, anyways, props to UCLA. What a great game. It was fun. Uh, you know, it didn't go the way us Arizona fans wanted it to. Uh, but it's also not a game that's going to kill Arizona's season or anything. UCLA, like you said, is a higher-ranked team, and they're that way for a reason. You know, now You're Joe Lenardi has them as a number one seed. 
and you're playing on the road. And I mean, th- th- it was a good game. And I think that that's the type of game that's good for the Pac-12. If it had been on earlier, so more, pe- more people could have seen it, that would have been better. But uh, that's the type of premier type of matchup you want to, for the rest of the nation to see where you have some top level basketball being played in the Pac-12 on the West Coast. That's what you want the nation to see. Yep. Before we get to the Pac-12 tournament, I wanted to touch base on Azulis Tubelis. He finished as the Pac-12's leading scorer and rebounder. Uh, he averaged 19.9 points per game, 9.2 rebounds per game, and 57.7 field goal percent this season. He's the first player to lead the Pac-12 in scoring and rebounding since Cal's Leon Poe in 2005-2006, and the first to do so in Arizona program history. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. Props to Azulis Tubelis. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. He led, without doubt, that is not an easy accomplishment. If you look at the names who previously won that, there are only a handful. Some of the names that are in there include Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, folks, this is a very elite company that that Azulis Trebellis reached here. In this particular year, I think that that won't be enough to get in the uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year title. I think that that will go to Jaime Hawkes. And uh, Bill Walton gave us a little preview of that by mentioning during the game that he kind of unofficially pulled the vote folks who will vote for that and that it looks like Jaime's got it wrapped up. But, uh, you know, Jaime had a good, good. Uh, he also had a great season. They were pretty close last night. And uh, in the end, the general rule is and stuff is you take the, you can take the best player who if, if he's particularly good, in this case, Jaime is, and on the best team in the conference who wins it. And that's not usually a bad choice. Right. Yeah. I have no problem with Jaime Hawkes getting it. You know, we all thought it was a lock, you know, even a month ago. Um, but because Tubelis had that string of games where he just didn't play well and Arizona lost quite a few games. I mean, you're talking Stanford, ASU, UCLA. So Arizona had three losses in that string of bad Tubelis games. And uh, yeah, I'm all for Jaime Hawkeyes getting it. It's just odd that Azulis Tubelis is the guy that, you know, for the first time since 2005, 2006, led the conference in scoring and rebounding, and he's not going to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. That's <laughs> it. There has to be some recognition. I think one of the things that was great is, is they cut the Wooden Award uh, 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 nominees down. He's still on that list, whereas Brendan Miller right. got cut, which was something I kind of point like to point out. <laughs> yep, yep. Right, right. Do you think Tubelis is happy that he's not part of that conversation anymore? Do you think he thrives on not being the talk of the town? Yeah, I think he does. I think he doesn't care. He mentioned every time they interview him, and you remember what an electric personality he has when he's interviewed. Uh, he uh, really keeps mentioning he doesn't care about the statistics. He doesn't care about that. It's all about the team ball and the team results. I mean, I, I like to point out, if you've watched him play, even the game where he had 40 points and stuff, is that he literally backs off sometimes in games and doesn't try to be that guy getting those points. You, you've seen games before where we've tried to feed the player who's close to having a triple-double or somebody who's reaching a milestone where they try to intentionally get him the ball and get him to get there. In this case, Tobias, he could have easily broken the record uh, on the 40-point game if they had just kept feeding it to him because there's still quite a bit of time left. But he just he's totally fine with just playing team ball and passing it out. Yeah. He just doesn't look for those things, and he's mentioned that, but you can see it in his game, I think. Yeah, I mean, look back at the USC game. You know, he had 25 points, but he did not score. I think the last field goal he made was with 12.30 left in the game. Yeah. Um, and you could see, obviously, that helped Arizona win. He was able to get the ball to other people, and they scored. But uh, you can see that he kind of puts the brakes on a little bit, and he wants to get everyone else involved, which is fine. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, I congrats to Tubalos. I think he did uh, had a wonderful Pac-12 season. Obviously, we're heading on to the Pac-12 tournament now, but you know, credit to him and he played wonderfully. Uh, he had that lull, you know, couple games, but overall, I am very pleased with how he developed. Um, you know, he is the leader of this team, and we need him, and he's showing up right now. He is indeed. And last year, we saw him fade for very long stretch of the season, which was where a lot of the potential was wasted. I have just one message to Tubes. Dude, we're going into the tournaments here. Don't turn it off. Go the full distance. Take it the whole way. Let's see what you can do for the full 40 minutes because we are going into tourney time. There you go, Azulis. You heard it here on Bias because we know you're listening. So take Ed's word for it. <laughs> that's right that's right well this is it's march basketball baby it's time to bring it all you bet all right so with that game being settled uh now the pac-12 tournament bracket has been set uh, i wanted to just do some rapid fire with you and kind of go through each of these little brackets here and we'll talk about you know what these games will mean and, and about some of these matchups that could occur uh washington colorado who do you think i think colorado wins it just depends on what colorado team shows up right yep I think that that one's a no-brainer. Colorado should win that. Strange that they're the lower seed, but uh, it just depends on which Colorado team shows up. Typically, what we've seen in the tournament is they tend to play a lot harder, so I'm going yeah. Colorado. Likewise. And as far as no-brainers go, Washington State versus California. Uh, let's see. Who should win that <laughs> one? It's amazing to think that Washington State's on like a six-game winning streak right now and still you know, struggling. It's just, they won't make it in the tourney, but unless they win the Pac-12 tournament. But yeah, that one's a no-brainer. Washington State should get yep. by that one with ease. Agreed. This one's going to be interesting. Utah versus Stanford. That one is a, that one's a draw. I mean, that could go either way. Um, Utah seems to have been slipping up lately, but so has Stanford. They don't. They both were starting to come on a little bit for uh, towards the end of the season. But I'm going to think that uh, I'm I'm going to guess that Utah makes it past. But like I said, it could go either way on that one. It's too close to call. I'm going to go opposite you on this one. I'm going to pick Stanford just because I feel like Stanford always plays well in Vegas. Um, okay. You know they gave Arizona a really good game last year, uh, so I, I'll go with Stanford. Uh, and then towards the bottom of the bracket, you have Arizona State, Oregon State. I think we are in agreement with this one. Yeah, I think I think Arizona. Oh, I'm going to talk to Bobby Hurley and the team right now, guys. You've sometimes shown up for this first round Wednesday game, seemingly not caring because it's a Wednesday game and just letting a team take you. And last, I think last year was Stanford, right, where mm -hmm. they had the game in control and then lost it towards the end in overtime. Yeah. Guys, Take it seriously. You need, I think you need a couple wins to secure your attorney berth. So you guys need to take this thing seriously and win this thing. You should win. By all, uh, by all accounts, you should win this thing. But play that defense you're known for and play well, and you, you'll, be into that, uh, you'll be into that Thursday game. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but Arizona State does kind of have a path to the championship game if they can play well. I mean, they can beat Oregon State, obviously. Then they would play USC. They can clearly stick with USC. They had a tight game yesterday, uh, and then they've already beaten Arizona, assuming Arizona makes it past Stanford or Utah, whoever wins that game. Uh, and then they would play potentially UCLA. So uh, there's some hope for ASU if they can just put it together. I, uh, yeah, I think ASU couldn't get by UCLA. They have a good uh, They, I think Arizona would probably be on a revenge tour. But I, if they can get through that first round and they can get past USC – like you said, USC was at Galen, and they still – that was a pretty tight game. If they could yeah. make, get a couple of wins there, I think that they could be in pretty good shape. Uh, but then again, just like you said, it was considered unrealistic for them to win at McHale against Arizona, and yet they did. So you never, you never know what's going to happen there. 
uh, I think it, it's strange too. I think Oregon has a good chance to move forward to take on UCLA as they go down. I think UCLA is going to have a clear path towards the top. Yep. I don't think that anybody, uh, UCLA is just playing the best ball right now. They're just playing well. Their defense is really uh, messing with teams. Uh, I, I, it's going to be hard for anybody to, uh, to really challenge that. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see an Oregon, Oregon UCLA matchup. Mm-hmm. I, I, it'd be hard pressed to not have that. I, I mean, unless Oregon trips up against Washington state, I can see Oregon getting there and obviously UCLA is going to be Colorado or Washington. doesn't matter who they play. Um, it's just funny that the gauntlet seems to be on the bottom half. If you take out Oregon state, you've got Arizona, Utah, Stanford, USC, and Arizona state all in the bottom bracket. And you've got UCLA, Washington state, California, Washington, Colorado. So it's interesting how that worked out. Exactly. I think, I think if we just stay focused this time and we take, you know, we take it to these teams, understanding this is now March tournament play and there is no tomorrow when you lose, you leave, you exit the bracket the second you lose. I think we get up there and we can make it to the championship game. It's just we've shown what we can do, I guess, except except for against Stanford. We've uh, we've shown what we can do to each of these teams at some point. But we have to keep it together and, and keep keep it focused, and not overlook somebody. Right. And you and you mentioned this, the revenge tour. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking for Stanford to beat Utah. So Arizona plays Stanford. Let's get that revenge game going. Then I'd like to play Arizona State again. Let's get that revenge game. And then let's play UCLA and get that revenge game. And we'll that would be 3 0 in revenge games. That would be so sweet if that laid out that way. If that played out that way, I'd be really, really pleased by that. Um, that would be awesome. Again, even though uh, the game went as it did yesterday, given that how close it was and, give, uh, and so forth, I think that there's a great chance that we could win this whole thing. So. I think everybody should stay tuned and not be so dismayed just because the UCLA game at Poly was the last game of the season so close to the Vegas tournament. Folks, stay tuned. Watch. Arizona uh, has a good chance to do the revenge tour that Ricky just described. Well, and I saw a stat yesterday. Tommy Lloyd, since coming to Arizona, is 6-0 and in revenge games. So we'll see if he can keep that up, assuming the cards play out the way we hope they do. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be exciting. All starting Wednesday. Uh, it's We'll... we'll be doing quite a bit of coverage on this, not just with the Arizona games, but since Pac-12 focused uh, podcast, we're all talking about other games as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, Wednesday at noon, you've got Washington, Colorado, and then from there, it's just every two and a half hours, basically, you've got a game going on. Uh, so Wednesday starts all the madness, and then Thursday, uh, you've got the four buys that will play their games, and off we go. And so. Branching off from there, so we'll get it. This is going to be an exciting week, culminating in Saturday. Hopefully, hopefully with Arizona taking the uh, tournament championship. But now let's move into what's going to come next, which is bracket. You know, the brackets will be coming out on Selection Sunday. That's on next Sunday, and uh, Joey's got us sitting at number two in the Midwest. My goodness, I would almost not want to do anything to change where we're sitting right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's just we let's start it. <laughs> Yeah, I would take that bracket in two seconds if I could get that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, my only disappointment is is we had planned if Arizona was in the West, you know, they'd play in Las Vegas for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and we had planned to go uh, if Arizona was in the West. Um, we can still make travel arrangements to Kansas City. Uh, yeah, but, no uh, problem. Yeah, I'm I'm all for Arizona being in the Midwest. Um, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. 
if it's that bracket, I'll take it. I'll just, you know, I go through this bracket and I go, oh, please give me this. <laughs> yeah. There are and a lot of beatable in. teams in that bracket. And and you get out of Kansas City before you'd have to face Kansas if they make it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just, I think that would be, uh, that would really suck to get stuck in the West as the number two with Houston in there. Because in the end, this thing is going to Houston. That's if everybody makes it all the way to the end, it's you're going to Houston. So yep. uh, I would gladly take the bracket as it sits now, yes. as, as Joey's got it. So interesting enough is like uh, if you look at uh, where where Jerry Palm has us, he has us as a three seed out, uh, three seed, I believe. Um, yeah, because he, he does. He just really doesn't. Uh, he he really doesn't uh, feel com- confident in uh, Arizona in general number of, uh, t- you know, below net 50 losses we took. And so um, j- uh, just a slight difference, but basically out in the east, the number one, he's got us in the east. But I, I-, I would be willing to bet that uh, Joe Lenardi's is a bit more accurate than Jerry Palms is. Well, and speaking of that, what I'd like to do this year is print Joe Lenardi's final bracket before Selection Sunday and see how correct he was. Uh, yes, that's what I was thinking uh, about as well. Previously, I'd asked that. Has anybody actually gone back and compared what uh, Joey's was compared to what the selection uh, committee came up with that day? Let's do that this year. Let's kind of have a count and see how close he was. And then actually, let's take Jerry Palms here since he's another common one that's used and see how he did. We'll t- take a few of these and see who actually scores the best. Yeah, and what we could do is we could do a uh, a podcast on Selection Sunday or after. Obviously, we could do it on Monday if we wanted, um, but we could do that and uh, talk about the results, you know, what Jill Lenardi did, what Jerry Palm did, and how close they were. And it'd be fun to not only talk about the brackets and the excitement of March Madness coming up, but also talk about how correct those guys were because, you know, they're the go-to guys all year long. That's what we're talking about is Joe Lenardi, Jerry Palm, those are the guys. So, Yeah, we can sit there and say, hey, guys, this is based on what we just uh, saw. This is who you should be listening to. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, all right, well, anything else before we head out, Ed? Well, no, I'm pretty excited that uh, we're starting true March uh, basketball now. It's true tournament. It's tournament time. All sorts of uh, conference tournaments going on. Uh, pretty exciting time here for, in general, for college basketball. The women's uh, tournament will be announced here at the same time, pretty close to the same time. So we'll, it's just the peak of basketball madness. Just enjoy it, folks. Don't dwell on yesterday's game. Enjoy what, uh, what this time of year means for college basketball. Yeah, and as Ed and I talked about last podcast, if you're an Arizona fan and you can get out to Vegas, there's so much fun out there. Uh, you know, there's all, always good food, uh, good company, because there's so many Arizona fans out there. Uh, but the games are great, too. If you can stomach watching 11 games in four days, it's really a wonderful time. It's really nice to sit back and watch some of these games on Wednesday where you don't have a dog in the fight. You can just uh, sit there and enjoy. Uh, so it's it's really fun. If you're a college basketball junkie, I re- highly recommend going to Vegas if you haven't been before. Uh, you'll have a blast, and you'll want to go every year from then on. Absolutely. And, and just remember, before you get hard on Arizona, just because you're mad about yesterday's game, tell me at the beginning of the season you believed you would have a 25-win regular season. Come on. You didn't yeah. think that that was possible, did you, after losing the, th- uh, losing the guys that we did? So, again, enjoy it. Yeah, I thought Arizona would be a top 25 team. I never thought they'd be in the top 10. Absolutely. So what a wonderful job by Tommy Lloyd, right? Absolutely. <laughs> doesn't get enough. He doesn't get enough mention about 
talk about coach of the year. A lot of folks were saying last year that, you know, he had a stacked deck. Well, this, this year he's really shown something and you don't hear him mentioned that often for coach of the year again. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. And, uh, please leave us any comments or let us know if you have any questions about anything we've talked about today. This is such a fun podcast. Ed and I really enjoy it. We're just a couple college basketball junkies with a bias towards our Arizona Wildcats. We are very excited about tournament season. This is going to be really fun. So let's buckle up and let's bear down. Bear down. Thanks everyone.